listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 253. What's going on, Mark? We got people in the room. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. We did last time too, but just like a just like oh, you know, George R. Brown. The whole conference. This yeah. is a little bit different. These are those bozos that cyber hacked us and took over the show. Oh, the, the ones that hog they hogtied us. <laughs> that was you, yeah. Oh, yeah, ball gag. Comrades. <laughs> so Jason and team, welcome back. This is the end of the year. If listeners, if you don't know by now, I don't know how you cannot know now, but IBM is the sponsor of this show. It's just awesome to have y'all back in here, almost like family. We're closing out the year. We want to talk a little bit about what we all think about some of the main points of last year. We want to talk about what we think is going to happen in the future. But before we get into that, Paige? Yes? We have no review. Oh, well, that's because we just recorded the other day. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, if you like the show, leave us a review. I'd love a five-star review. If you don't like the show, leave us a two-star and tell us what we can change. Actually, probably let's go around the room real quick, because if you haven't listened to the TakeOver show, you may not know the IBM team here. Let's start. Jason, you want to go this way and work your way around? Hey, I'm Jason Duff. Um, Scottish, based in Houston for the last two years. Um, <laughs> Has to ha- you have to point out you're Scottish, right? Because they can't hear it in your... No, it's, oh, it's- so... <laughs> No, I, I I think, was, do you know what always problem is my strong Texas accent? I don't agree <laughs> Scottish, clearly. Sorry, that's true. Good point. Are we continuing the recording? Yeah. Yeah, we're going, dude. Oh, okay, sorry. Keep going. Good. Yeah, so Jason Duff, based in Houston, last couple of years, North America oil and gas lead market, you know, um, in with the team, developing relevance, been great partnering with you guys, getting out there and, yeah, doing our stuff in the oil and gas business. Yeah, we love you all to death. Let's keep going this week, introductions. Hey guys, Brian Woodward here on Jason's team. I lead Slumbershay as the lead account partner from IBM. I'm a native Texan. Jason thinks he's a native Texan. He's slowly becoming one. But what what I tell you the other day, right? I think we've got the formula for world domination, right? I think a Scott has just enough Texas in him to get a seat to the rodeo. Yeehaw. Right? (laughs) And just enough Euro common sense, right? You know, so it's a great mix, right? Almost. Almost. Just a little. Just a little. Anyways. Happy holidays, everybody. It's good to be here. Hey, this is Brad Walker. I'm the Exxon Mobil account partner. I work for Jason as well. I'm an import into Texas, but I'd like to consider it home for the long term. I'm looking to Brian, who is the native, to give me more clues in terms of how I hide my accent, how I make myself a little bit more native. But I love Texas. I've been here about 22 years serving oil and gas, but I do both discrete as well as process manufacturing. I've been working with Slumber's Day in the past. Now that Brian has it, I'm with ExxonMobil, but I've done other industrial products. And by the, well. by the way, he's also my team translator because he spent <laughs> three years in Scotland. So when the guys don't know what I'm saying, they go to Brad and say, dude, well, exactly what did he just yeah. say? And sometimes I have to translate two other Scots. Because <laughs> alcohol. And, and Brad and I are going truck shopping right after the show. We talked there about you go. that. There you go. Okay. Right? Yeah. First step of being a Texan. <laughs> Hey, it's Jim Kosas here. I'm also based in Houston, been around the world and back with IBM, and I cover Chevron for IBM. Well, that was short and sweet, Jim. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet and to the point. My name is Jerry Lewis. I'm the lead account partner for IBM for BP in North America. 
Traditionally, I spent a lot of time doing retail, customer experience, digital transformation, enterprise agility, enterprise transformation, most recently in Mexico for three years in the cement industry, and have come back to Houston, landed with this great team, and happy to be here to help the oil and gas industry transform the way that it works with its customers. There has to be some joke in there about the Mexican cement. They're just, they're just, they're just, they're just he came back with blocks on his feet, but that's okay. <laughs> so when we look at last year and looking forward and look at what's going on in the oil and gas industry, what's one of the first things you think about, Jason? Sustainability, energy transition. It's all on everyone's lips. It is on everybody's list. And it's interesting. We've always been an industry, at least here in Europe and and for most of the world, that understood sustainability, understood our impact to the environment. This energy transition, though, is kind of new, right? So our energy mix has always changed. Not that long ago, we thought killing whales is a great way to light our homes, right? But now we're into something different. We're in the renewable space, and the oil and gas industry is having to learn how to use that as a business, right? So it's no longer greenwashing. It's like we're in it both feet. We believe in it. We're doing it, but we need to make a dollar at it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the market never saw that on our side. We've been doing wind, solar for so many years. I've been involved in Shell and BP joint ventures around the globe, but just not got out to the market. And I think because where we are and people looking at us as a dirty business, let's be honest, we've discussed it before, and it's like, well, hold on, we're are doing this stuff. I think what's really happened the last couple of months, actually a couple of weeks ago, the Shell CEO turned up and said really clearly, guys, we will transition. We will go to the new energies. But this money is going to have to come from the business we're in today. Bernard Looney said the same thing two weeks ago. So I think there is a bit of a, there's a view that says we, we are going in the right direction. And yes, whether it's wind, whether it's, you know, people pulling, you know, purely out of shale and going to their own space, et cetera. People, other people having a different direction. But I think what everywhere we're going just now, sustainability is a different thing to everyone, but the similar in some other ways. I think it's kind of then people, I mean, Jerry, we talked about BP the other day, almost going into the utility business, as I understand. And even, I tell you, inside IBM, I've had more connection than we have as a, had a team with our energy and utilities practice than we did in the last couple of years. Guess why? How are you going to charge for this? What do you actually do, do you do? What's the sort of systems and processes that we need to bring into a, an oil and gas business to actually support it? Yeah. Just real quick, when you think about stuff like that, think about 2021, which one of us would have ever guessed that Royal Dutch Shell would have moved their corporate headquarters? Mad. And the, and the Mad. driver is this, the exactly. financial common sense as this energy transition takes place, you can't force companies and people to do it faster than it makes sense in the market to the point that Shell said, you know what, let's pick up and move. Yeah. 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 And Mark, I think you raise a good point. And I think we're going to see, you know, probably still some of this settle out next year and the year after. And that is we're seeing, I think, the implications of pushing maybe too hard in in some areas. And we've seen a lot of, you know, volatility in the natural gas pricing. We've seen, you know, problems with coal stock and, you know, it, it seems like, you know, first of all, we have such a massive amount of disruption, I think, geopolitically with what's going on, you know, with, you know, COVID and, you know, transportation falling off, heading back up. But, you know, I think the, the reality is, is, is we've got to sort of, I think, start to find a, a reliable balance in how we really forecast what the energy needs are going to be and what's the right mix. And I think we're going to still see a lot of companies struggle with that. And, As you were mentioning earlier, you know, Jason, you know, going into, you know, electrification as a business that traditionally, 
you know, been, you know, exploration and production, it's a totally different animal, right? It's a totally different marketing schema, totally different, you know, digital footprint. And so there's going to be a lot, I think, still a lot of learning curve to work into the industry to be able to diversify like that. Yeah. And as far as BP and the other majors going, entering the energy transition landscape through acquisitions, through joint ventures and partnerships, we've seen BP very active in that space. But when you compare the investment that's being made relative to the overall investment in the core hydrocarbons business, it's still a fraction because companies are trying to figure it out. They're maneuvering, they're positioning, government's got to line up behind it. All these things got to work before the investment really starts to shift. So I think we see a lot of discussion and a lot of talk and a lot of press, not quite as much action, but it's starting to move. We're just at the beginning, Mark. Yeah, I think so. And I think next year is when we really hit our stride. I do think it's funny for the first time ever. I hope that Santa brings me coal this year. <laughs> so you can heat your house? It's gone through the roof. It's, yep. it's worth yeah. a gazillion it's dollars now. And I did not see that one coming at all. I'm going to have to pull out, out of my savings to make sure you get some coal. <laughs> I would predict if you look at next year, I think on the sustainability side, we as a service company, clearly, I think the demand will start. Go back to your point, Jerry, you got me thinking. The demand will come back to us to actually ask or measure ourselves against outcomes and projects or inputs of, okay, guys, how do you also help us on the sustainability, whether it's give back, people not traveling, how do we do it? You can feel it. I think it's coming. It's, it's getting real for us and it's good. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of those commitments around carbon impact, you know, yeah. as we roll into the next year, I mean, it's getting closer and closer, right? And I think the investor community you know, wants to see progress in that space, right? Well, to that point, BP's got 10 aims and they are actively building and constructing the measurement mechanism to show progress against those 10 aims relative to sustainability, carbon footprint tracking, all of it, because the data is not there unless you create the systems to, to create it, to manage it, to measure it. You know, it's funny as you look at what some of the folks have been writing since the WPC started this week regarding realistic investors expecting or unrealistic investors expecting a quick transition to something more sustainable in the future. And and the reference to coal kind of cracked me up a little bit that you just made for a moment because I could see ourselves putting so much emphasis on all the other sources of energy <laughs> and leaving oil and gas, which you know some of our US operators have said, no way we're doing, thank goodness, because we'll probably go back to wanting to go buy more oil and gas when everybody thinks we've got enough solar and, and wind. So I, I think there's a high expectation, of, an unrealistic expectation of what's what's going to turn here. Yeah, interesting point on that, Brad. Mike Worth from Chevron this week, I think, said it pretty succinctly. He said, our products make the world run, right? Kind of full stop. And so if there is going to be improvement in terms of sustainability and energy transition, it's going to come from within the industry. Yep. And it can't be one company doing it one way and a bunch of companies doing it another way. It's got to be across the board. Yep. Man, what a perfect segue to Jerry's next talking point. Which <laughs> well, he, oh, he's been waiting. Look at him. He's just grinning <laughs> ear to ear. Digitization. Yeah. Maybe some would argue it. It's the, it's the fuel and the mechanism by which a lot of transition will be affected. But let's just go back and set the context as we enter 2021. COVID, oil prices, downsizing, reorgs, new ways of working, the great resignation, work from home, all very challenging dynamics for any industry, the oil and gas industry especially. And when I think about digitization, I think about companies trying to change the way they work amidst all of those very challenging circumstances. And we wound up asking ourselves lots of questions. Who's going to do the work? 
right? We just let go 10,000 people. Yeah. Who physically is going to do the work? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe all my contractors were, well, how are we going to do it? Are we going to use agility? Are we going to use waterfall? Are we using these new ways of working? We don't know because we're an oil and gas company and it's not our core strength or we're a heavy industry and it's not our core strength. Where's the work going to get done? Are we doing all this remotely? Really? The things that we've done in person for, for 30 years, we're now going to do remotely completely. We're going to run a hundred virtual workshops over the next year to try to do discovery across our whole org. Can that possibly work? Who pays for it? And with what money? Cause we've just reorged our entire organization. Now I've got people that say what I'm going to do. I got people that say how I'm going to do it. And I got people that build the solutions across both and nobody knows who's going to pay for it and who's going to sponsor it. And the money's not there because of the cuts and the investor commitments around sustainability and cost cutting and all of that. So Q2 2020 to Q2 2021 is try- spent trying to answer all those questions, both organizationally through consulting relationships internally, culturally, war for talent, which Jim's going to get into here in just a minute. But now, now after a year and a half of this really challenging environment, we're starting to hum. Things are starting to click and fire and we're starting to move forward and things are starting to move. And our customers, and I I think I can speak for everybody here, are asking us for people and they're asking us for help and they're asking for it now because they've got imperatives and they need help getting it done. And digital is a huge key to a lot of that. So that's sort of my take on the last year and a half coming through this year and where we are now, Mark. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And for companies out there that don't have at least a digitalization strategy, and I know digitalization is an overused buzzword, but it means something very specific. For companies out there that don't have a strategy, at least by the end of this year, you're in trouble, right? Because your competitors are actually implementing and executing on their strategy, and they're going to pull so far ahead of you. Yeah, they're hiring everybody. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. So, you know, Amazon's one of our sponsors. Amazon is specifically out there targeting high-tech individuals in oil and gas to bring on board at the same time that we can't afford to lose those people because we just laid off a whole bunch of them, right? So, you know, from a digitalization point of view, we know the industry is moving forward using technology to help solve business problems. But to your point, how, where, and why, and then most importantly, where does the budget come from? Hey, I met AWS, my counterpart in AWS yesterday. We've just signed an agreement of exactly that two weeks ago in Abu Dhabi at the oil conference, the oil and gas conference down there. Why are we doing it? A conference called Adepec? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. the, the, the little Sorry. one. <laughs> it's too early on a Friday morning, Mark, for me to remember. I couldn't remember the damn acronym. Hey, just go back to the, the buzzword on the, the digital, Jerry. Just a challenge. Without the security and without the data, we've all seen digital projects go wrong because they think they've done digital, but the data doesn't flow you don't get business dynamic from it. There's not security. How did we get that embedded? And what did the what do our listeners need to do? Or the, our clients really need to do? Well, I think the clients have to begin with the end in mind, and and the end does not. It has to consider security and has to consider data. And a lot of times, those are afterthoughts. So unless we as consultants and as unless our clients as as businesses begin to think about that entire value chain of delivering, you know, value to the customer, value streams, right? Everything that it takes to deliver an outcome to a client, they will fail because two-speed IT, three-speed IT does not work for customer-centric experiences. And if your data is locked away in silos and it doesn't map from system to system, you're done. You're, you're done. So it's business yeah. and IT coming together. Yeah. So, and I would argue when you say you got to start with the end in mind, what is the end, right? We, we, I mean, the, the well, industry is yep. so dynamic now, right? And things change so fast. I think it's about... 
about agility. It's about openness. It's about flexibility. And and I think you're seeing a you know big motion in the industry. You know, inside uh, say the you know the integrated players as well as the service providers trying to move to a much more open flexible, you know, partner-centric framework because I, I think you cannot operate in a, in a model in the past where, you know, everything's, you're, you know, locked in and all your, you know, you control and manage all your IP because the, the world's just going to pass you by. It's just going too fast, right? Yeah. yeah. So just to be clear, the end is the outcome you're trying to deliver. And so agility without outcome-focused and customer experience-focused goals is chaos. And a lot of companies have experienced that because they don't do it. So to your point, you don't know exactly what you're going to deliver over the next 10 years. But if you know you're trying to hit some North Stars of customer experience, data transparency, flexibility, agility, then those are the ends that I'm talking about, Brian. So to your point, yes, you can't lock yourself in, but you also have to have North Stars that guide your, your direction. I've seen a shift this year, which is kind of interesting, where there's been more of a focus originally it was more on digitizing processes mm. as opposed to transforming processes using digital techniques. And I think that's kind of the pivot where the industry is going and needs to go. So it's not just a matter of enabling something and making it available on a mobile device if the process itself is the same as it was before. Yeah, so you, really point. the goal is to, to really look at using digital to transform the way work is done. I tell you, one of the unexpected side effects, though, is the interest in young people. Oh, yeah. When they see this layers of technology that we're actually actively pursuing, they get excited. They get intrigued, right? So from a, a way to, to re recruit and retain talent, besides this helping the business, I think it's awesome that we're actually embracing this as an industry because we need help attracting young people to the industry. And if we can show them that we're not just heavy, dirty steel, that we do some of the coolest stuff in the world using some of the most awesome technology in the world, I think that's going to help the entire industry. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and you think about, okay, the application of things like, you know, automation or autonomous uh, operations, right? I mean, it doesn't, I think, get any more complex or more interesting than it does in this particular industry, right? Rather, you're you know, trying to solve an, you know, sort of, you know, remote operations or autonomous drilling scenario. These are really, really complex, very deep scientific, you know, challenges that, like you said, in terms of attracting talent, young talent in the industry, you know, I think you could argue you probably find no more interesting space in the world as this industry really starts to drive towards digital. And I think the we'll get to the retention topic in a little bit, but when it comes to the folks that don't want to continue to do the same things, when you can start to digitize, automate, use technologies to do the kind of mundane things and get those same people that are interested in staying in the in oil and gas but aren't challenged any longer to be able to do more strategic things becomes really interesting. So, so something that we're doing more of, Mark, next year is going to try and market this more. Actually, we all need to do as an industry is take some of the digital programs, market it, get it out to the world, but also start working. I'm going to, we're going to start working more with the universities yeah. next year. And, and sustainability, the sustainability angle is key because yeah. a lot of the talent today wants to be working towards some broader aim, something altruistic. And you know, BP, for sure, is leveraging its platform for net zero by 2050 and all the work it's doing around that to attract the next generation of talent. All right, so that brings us to the next thing, which is supply chain. Boy, that is, How about that is a that? can of worms always in this industry, well, it, and it this is. year especially. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's a buzz, not just within our industry, but, you know, across the world, even with the end consumer, right? I mean, and we all know kind of how the domino effect started with COVID, of course, but the availability of human resources to fill the demand right now 
has also been a major problem for us, not to mention the global dependencies that we have on transportation channels, whether it's finished products or it's raw materials, right? So the thing that I focused on recently, though, as I started to look at it, was more of the other side of the story as it relates to oil and gas. I mean, the slowdown impact on demand for hydrocarbons could be the main focus here, but there's a new area when it comes, and we've already talked a little bit about it, and that's the sustainability side. I mean, we keep coming back to the same theme, right? So if you just think about some of the transportation emissions associated with moving product around and the future of needing to you know, take account of the carbon footprint. Oil and gas companies are going to have to do a little better job, in my opinion, of doing a little bit more advanced planning, starting to be able to share resources, share information. They've worked in silos a lot of time. I know many of the companies that I've supported in the past don't have the systems to give them the visibility to be able to make sure the shortest route to get the materials is made available to them. So that's a little bit tricky. But then if it sits idle in a warehouse as well, then you start to pay for the electricity, you start to paying for the the heating, the cooling, and that carbon footprint gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And with the slowdown that we have right now, especially in areas like the Permian and others, suddenly you've got inventory costs that have gotten very expensive on top of all Mm -hmm. the sustainability problems that we've already kind of talked about in advance. I was in a presentation this week and supply chain came up and thought, what's it going to look like 2022 onwards? So as an example, as an asset, we want enough inventory there Guess what? Our, you know, solutions like MROIO, etc., are saying, "Hey, just in time, only you know, reduce your stock." Where do you want to be now going forward? I mean, I, I personally think that whole side of the business will be rethought. I mean, you know, we struggle to get parts now. Whether you're a cyclist looking for a chain and sprockets to, you know, unless you're getting something through Amazon, you could maybe say that's. And actually, the Amazon guy, I'm sure, sits at the top of my road, knows what my wife's about to <laughs> order and order, delivers it in the next five minutes. That hey, I'm totally, guilty too. I'm totally guilty. Dude, are they looking at what we're doing? I'm sorry, that's a stupid. They are looking at what I'm searching and Googling before I get to there. But I do think it will change us as a business. I think that whole supply chain, and there was a like a meeting this week with a supply chain experts that was involved in, and the big thought was, there might be a huge rethink. And what is it going to be? But I think we've really been jolted, Brad, in the last two years of this may happen again. You, yeah, you, right. you have it to could. wonder. It could. Like I read an article, I don't know, it's a month, month and a half ago, and it talked about how companies have, you know, migrated from, you know, having stock, right, to manage the risk to that being such a big weight on the balance sheet and having such an impact in corporate metrics that, you know, we went to the to just in time and do we slide back more towards having safety stock? And, you know, I think that's a very difficult pill to swallow when you, you know, when you've been so pressured by the markets to run a really lean, lean organization. And I think, you know, ultimately, in my opinion, you need better visibility. You need, you know, better risk management around supply chain. And I think that's where probably a lot of the efforts are going to go in the next year. Certainly, I think in these, you know, sort of weird areas, you know, of these, you know, I mean, we've lived through, I think, arguably the strangest, you know, supply chain period and recorded history in the last couple of years. But in, in those cases, you'll need safety stock. But I think, you know, going back to your favorite topic, obviously, Jerry, right? Digitization. <laughs> Didn't he yeah, prep that I, one well, by yeah, the way? Yeah, he did. Did he not prep yeah, that one well? Very, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you guys could see the notes on his iPad, right? It's just, <laughs> <laughs> Dang, they called you out, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm going to tee one up for yeah. you here, Jerry. So, so one of the things that we're working on right now is, back to Brian's point, is to get better information 
upstream, yeah. no pun intended, but be able to get the petrotechnical data that we're seeing at the well site more available into the supply chain decision-making engine, if you will, to be able to anticipate when they're going to need more supply, when, when they don't need more supply. So being able to digitize that, we have some of the products, we have some of the tools now to be able to do what we aspired to do 10 years ago, but we probably couldn't have done without cloud and a few other things. And you got to apply that to, you know, your operation of your assets in the field, right? You know, really good predictive maintenance, you know, technologies so that you are getting proper lead time to get, you know, poor, you know, parts so you don't go out of service. I mean, I think this whole, this supply chain disruption we've all lived is, is going to have a massive sort of impact in terms of just how we think about the whole value chain moving forward. Jerry, you're, you're our supply chain. I mean, that's your background, right? With supply chain outside oil and gas, right? Well, what's funny is that Brad asked me a question and Brad answered it. So <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on here. So is, is, is he really here? So he was scrolling his iPad and Brad had to jump in. I, you so know, Jerry, what's, hap- what's, happening in, what ha- what's happening in other industries where they're able to use the information they have as a company in working with their vendors? Well, integrated supply chain you know, real partnership up and downstream with the entire value chain is something that's been done a lot more in retail and consumer and other industries that have been less sort of locked in and vertically integrated. And I think one of the potential trends we'll see as Brad was hinting at, sorry, as Brian was hinting at, I can get your name right. That's that's fine. That's your <laughs> sorry, punishment. It's only been two it's years. Okay. Don't that's worry fine. about it's it. Fine. Don't worry about it, right? Tight <laughs> um, team. Is, are we going to see more federation among the suppliers of oil and gas and those products and the sharing of models that helped optimize and things of that nature, will these companies come together and form ecosystems like others have? Because we haven't really seen that kind of collaboration in the oil and gas industry before. And there's a lot of reluctance and a lot of like, hey, we're the best at this. We don't need anybody's help. But really, if you're going to have a global supply chain, I mean, nobody's vertically integrated end to end globally anymore. And so we're encouraging our, our customers now, our clients to look more at what other industries are doing, for instance, in CPG, where they literally are in automotive, where tier one, tier two, tier three providers all have a forecast of what their customers yeah. are looking for. I mean, certainly. That's where I was going with automotive. If you look at their supply chain, they solved that 20 years That's ago. right. And they really have true just-in-time delivery at zero defect manufacturing, right? So it's amazing. And I think our industry needs to go that route. Jerry says a supply chain guru. You know that. He's got documents in Russian out there. Well, Jerry, no, that's uh, back to you, dude. Jason. Yeah, I appreciate that. But you're really, <laughs> you're really praising me for something that I'm not an expert in. What I'm more an expert in is digital transformation and organizational transformation around digital agility and those things. Now, it relates a lot to supply chain yeah. and the way that companies run their businesses, but it's not specifically supply chain. It just happens to be really important for things like e-commerce and things like delivering great customer experiences. And it's been really relevant for retail and consumer, the industries that I used to work a lot in. And because the cement industry in Mexico, at Semex in particular, was focused on turning their business into a customer-focused business, really dove deep into that area, right? So I have domain I expertise there, like but, I, but I, you know, I, I'm not like the guru. No, I like what you've chain. just done, though, because actually you did, you've corrected us. You're, you're right. It's not just supply chain. You think of what Jerry just said, all the three or four pro- subjects we just spoke about. It's kind of trying to get the digital element. What are we going to do tighter? Can we go outside and actually leverage the auto, the sort of aero defense and the, the industrial products like Semex? Of what have they done and what do we need to do in this industry, right? This leads us to capital markets. Boy, that's a big one. It is. And I think that, you know, the mark, you know, 
our customers, right, have seen a massive change, I think, in the view of how the capital markets view their business and and how much free investment is, is going into those markets. And, you know, I think there's a lot more pressure on our mutual customer base around showing capital stewardship, return on investment, cost management. But I think at the same time, right, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, earlier in energy transition that, you know, we have seen tightening of the capital markets in the last year in this space. I think it's impacting supply. I think it's really impacting the global energy needs. And so it'd be very interesting, I think, turning into 2022, you know, are we going to start to see a little bit of loosening up of investors in this space just purely because, you know, the demand is going to outpace supply and you know, I think, I don't know, you often see sometimes, what's the expression that, you know, what is it, uh, need is the, the what is it, mother Necessity nature? Necessity is, is it, the mother of invention? Yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> I had that in my notes. He had yeah. it in his notes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did not have it in my notes, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But I think people will start pumping money back into the into the markets because there's money to be made. And I think the, the customer bases have done a lot and are doing a lot to prove that they're, they're worthy of investment. Well, what's interesting is during 20... 20 and 2021, ESG became a big component, right? And it was fascinating. Up until, say, 2018, a lot of the investment money in the U.S. and upstream was investing groups looking for growth, not a return on their investment, not profit, but growth. So as long as you kept growing, they gave you more money. That's <laughs> sort of like a Ponzi scheme, right? At some point, you have to actually go in production to deliver a product. And then starting probably 2019, 2020, it became much more important for investors that they make a return on their money instead of a growth. And then this whole ESG level came in, which honestly, I think it's great. And so from the outside, I have never seen this much cash, this much capital sitting on the sidelines. It's there. It's just people are scared to invest it. And to your point, I think next year that the lure or the attraction of the return, because we're getting ready to be so busy next year, I think you can see that fade away. And I think you can see companies come back, maybe back off a little bit on the ESG stuff, but they definitely want to make sure that their investments touch some of the ESG stuff. But at the same time, I think they're going to back off a little bit because the potential for return next year for capital investments is going to be enormous in oil and gas. Saw some numbers this week from IHS market that sized this, right? So pre-pandemic level of investment globally was about $525 billion. This year, they're looking at about $340 billion. So that's roughly a, you know, a third decline you know, in, wow. in overall investment. So when you take a look at you know, we might have expected that at the beginning of this year, in the middle of the pandemic, but even now where commodity prices are rising, the, the investment hasn't followed, and that's certainly going to have impact. Mm. It's also interesting to watch the internal investment groups inside, especially the super majors, see what they're doing with their money. So for the last couple of years, they were heavily investing in clean energy and renewables, microgrid, that sort of stuff. Now they're starting to dump money back in exploration and production because we didn't do that for a couple of years. Yep. So now the demand's coming back. We got to find these reserves. And also those reserves have a legal definition, barrels on a reserve for the public companies, and it affects their shareholder value. So it's a really complex, interesting world. But I do think next year is going to be a, a good year for investors. I agree. And, and I think that if anything, <laughs> the last two years has proven out that we're not ready for full energy transition and we need to keep yeah. cranking the wheel around the supply of hydrocarbons globally. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to drive it. It'll, I think it'll redrive really the investment, like you yeah. said. And I think it's going to take more government investment to drive some of the progress we need in order to get the private companies and the public companies to make the investments required to transition us because the capital markets aren't going to support it. Hmm. Yeah, so I think the capital markets will support it in areas where they think they can make a return on your investment. It's the areas that are gray 
or that have so far shown that they can't return money that I think the investors, even the renewal investors, I think are shy away from. I think they've been burned a little bit and they've learned their lesson. All right. So final thing, Jim. War for talent. Boy, what a great way to end the, end the conversation because we've been a war for talent for now, but now it's been escalated and now it's, it's this epic battle for talent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you take a look at where we were a year ago. What we were seeing in kind of the tech industry was a lot of the work moving offshore, right? And as a result of that, a lot of the resources, you know, people had a lot of, you know, options, especially kind of people with, you know, strong capabilities. And ultimately that drove up costs as, you know, more of this work was being moved outside of the U.S. to places like India and Philippines and South America. And what I've seen over this year is a more of a shift to, you know, folks in the U.S. who are looking at kind of the nature of work, right? So it's not so much an opportunity to improve your salary, but kind of this existential, you know, opportunity to kind of reflect and look at what you're really doing. And, and where we're seeing that, you know, as an example is with folks like who are really capable in areas like data science and machine learning, who really are capable in that space, but often are pulled into different areas in the work that they do. And, you know, they reflect on that and say, you know what, I really, really want to work in this one space. I want to be specialized. I'm good at what I do. And I don't want to be doing things that aren't, you know, completely aligned to it. And given, you know, the way that the market is, is shifting, they do have opportunities to go where they can specialize and do exactly what they want to do. I have never in my entire life seen so many people post pictures on social media about leaving the, the super majors. Yeah. It, is, it is crazy. And, you know, most of the super majors' competitive advantage is their talent. So what happens when you're used to being able to make an extra 1% or 2% return on your investment because your engineering crew has 30 years of experience, and now you no longer have that engineering crew, right? So it's, it's, it's amazing. And then how do we fight this? I and mean, public reception is a big thing, right? But what else can we do? Mark, I mean, just coming back on that one, it's, it's interesting because we often frame the problem as a war on talent, but it's also a war on, on keeping that intellectual capital within the organization, yeah. right? So it's not just a matter of someone leaving who's got 25 years of experience with a company and in working on an asset. You know, you can't just backfill that in a short amount of time. So that that's kind of the thing that makes this even more complicated. Well, Jim, and, and you know, you said it, I think, and I say this all the time, and I, th I think still people resist this. You know, if you're in the process of either trying to require, acquire or retain talent, you're not in a, you know, buyer's market. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned this earlier, I think people that have certain skill sets, they're not in a position to where they can be, do they have to be told or need to accept to be, you know, to do the type of work that they don't think is going to enrich them. And so I think as, you know, as leaders within the, our consulting business, as well as helping our customers, we need to really find ways, I think, to stimulate people in their jobs, make, you know, the, their jobs an attractive an enriching place to work and, you know, and not let people, and I, especially in this market, sort of get stale and, and want to leave. I mean, I see this on a regular basis. People don't like what they're literally being told on a day-to-day -day basis. They have seven, eight job offers out there and they just hop, right? And it's a massive problem. I don't think it's going to work itself out overnight, but we have to really think about rethink how we treat the workforce right now. Yeah, we need to set a strategy, all yeah, of us, yeah, right? Forget IBM, yeah, just all yeah. of us. Set a strategy two, three years out. Forget numbers, which we always get sucked into. What does it look like? What's the ship that you live in? You know, what's the place to be? Where do people want to go? And again, it was something that we had a discussion internally this week I was involved in. And yes, numbers were at first, 
then all of us as the SLT said, guys, it's all about the people. The place has to be the place that people want to come work, see themselves progress, feel good, bring their neighbors in, bring their family in, bring you know new members into the team. If we don't do that, we'll end up trying, as you say, driving people to you know, cracking point and it, the, the opportunities are there. I think the smarter people, we will, we will put more and more effort, it has to, into strategy around people. I'm going to pose a question to the group here because I don't know the answer to this. I know the answer in our own company, but do our clients, the super majors, the majors and the rest, provide enough information on career path, provide their resources with enough information to know if you want to do machine learning and you want to do AI and AI only, here's how you're going to be able to do that and still thrive. And I know that money is important to everybody, but the new generation coming in and it's not as important. I think you already I made that point. I think it's been the unpredictability that's driven that. Yes. I mean, how, how can you tell now with the oil, you know, oil price getting what minus 34, everything disaster, how do you tell the same people a, a message? I think we'll it's, get It's a this. really complex situation. And I may reverse back on what I said a little bit earlier about having to treat people differently. At the same time, I may be running at 60, 65% of the capacity I need to do the job. And so I'm working my people like crazy, right? And I'm not able to give them, you know, what they want to do. Yeah. So it is, it's a bit of, I mean, I don't know. I think the global labor market right now, especially probably in these specialized areas like oil and gas and technology, it's a little bit of a perfect storm, right? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know when it starts to settle down, but I'd like to see it cool off a little bit. Yeah, I think it's, I don't think we've peaked, right? I mean, I think when people are going to be required to go back to the office yeah, is where we're going to see the biggest <laughs> resignation, right? And I think the only way, is, as Jason was kind of mentioning before, is you need to get ahead of this curve, right? And it really comes down to looking at, you know, what are the skills, what are the functions that people are really going to be attracted towards doing? And you can't, you know, do everything, right? And and you have to rely on vendors like IBM and others who, you know, are specialized in those areas and really take kind of, you know, those really high priority jobs and keep those internally and outsource all of the, you know, kind of uh, well, factory you know, type skills. Or automated. To be or automated. Favorite topic as well, digitization, right? <laughs> I think, I mean, we just all goes back to Jerry. But you got to really, you, you know, I think the other the other big dilemma is, are these people going to come back in the capacity that they were in? And how do you, you know, really start to take complex workflows in a business and automate them because you just can't get them? Jerry, do you have notes on that? Yeah. I, I think, I think <laughs> what you all are saying are elements of a potential solution, but I think we're all missing a critical element of what it takes to attract and win in the Tell world me, for Jerry. talent today. Mark hit it earlier, which is what BP's done is completely rebrand themselves around a mission mm -hmm. that serves the planet. And not every company has to have a mission that serves the planet, but a company has to have a mission and it has to be something bigger than the individual. And one of the reasons that IBM, I think, has succeeded over the years in attracting a lot of talent that has stayed for a long time is because it's always had an altruism to it that goes beyond the drudgery of monthly and quarterly numbers and all the things that the street wants to hear about. It's making the world a better place. 
And even though it shifted and it's gone different directions and it's not always been the best at what it does, it's always had that behind it. And I think that's a really important element of attracting talent today. And I think BP is ahead of the curve on that in the oil and gas industry. And I think all the rest of the companies need to do the same thing. And it's got to be a focus and it's got to be starting at the top with the CEO all the way down to the bottom, getting to the career path and all the things you're talking about, Brad. So, so play up more of the low carbon organizations, the you know the companies that they're creating, playing more asking their own people for more ideas around what they can do around sustainability and, and building more business around that. Yeah. Does that, does that mean then what you're saying, Jerry, is recognize who we are as a business. Forget IBM, just the, an oil and gas business. Generically, who we yeah. are, yeah. what we are, what roles are we really going to fuel, grow, be famous for? Who am I going to partner with? Because actually, probably what we're finding as well is we're taking some oil and gas guys into our business, but isn't that going to be more of an end-to-end that says, guys, if you want an IT, you know, a more of an IT, what do you call it, experience, do you go to more partners, but then you can then fuel it? Because I guess, yeah, that it's going to have to be people going into the right areas. And if, if you as a business don't want to do something, then you're going to have to tell the people, go off to a partner, but you're definitely going to be serviced. I mean, that's it's kind of trying to get the businesses into a, what am I going to be, what am I not going to be? Where do you where do you lie, and then who am I going to rely on for those services? Right. I agree with you, Jason, and I think it's, it comes down to when you're in, back to the topic of you know war for talent is that when you're attracting people, you've got to be very upfront and honest with you know what you're promising them during those interviews to what they're going to be doing. You know, not only sixty days in, but ninety days in, but a year and two, you know, into their you know careers, that they'll continue to be able to do the type of work that they really want to do. And, and we've already said that the industry is so dynamic; it's hard to predict that. But I do say, and I think everyone's on the same page with this: their business strategy has to be more evident to those newcomers, to those recruits, and they've got to make promises in line with those well, business com- strategies. Companies like BP that took advantage of the crisis to accelerate their transformation, I think are, are ahead of the game. Because to your point, Jim, and what the rest of you are saying, if you don't have it lined up, what a site reliability engineer is going to do and how he's going to grow in the company, they're not coming to work for you. No chance. If a data scientist sees a dead end, even though they've got this great mission that they're going to go solve the world's you know climate problem, they're not going there. So you got to have that figured out. And, and BP spent the last year and a half trying to figure that out. And they're writing it all down and they put it all on paper. And you know, I think that helps a lot. Hey, Mark, didn't you see all five subjects come straight back to Jerry? He's a- <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that perfect, wasn't by my doing. What a no. perfect segue. Absolutely. The other thing we all come back to is what? The Canon, which is where we are right now. So if you're a listener, you're in Houston, the Canon is our go-to place. You'd like a place to get away, a little privacy, get away from your boss like Jason's team or whatever. Just go up the front desk, say you, <laughs> you listen to OGGN, they will give you a free guest pass, no questions asked, and they won't even try to sell you anything. And then speaking of IBM, Paige, what's happening with the show? I don't know, but that was like your best segue of like 2021, dude. <laughs> it was. I've never seen a segue like that. He was trying to cut Jerry everything. off, people. <laughs> did, didn't, didn't I see Mark riding around on a segue in the parking lot, actually? <laughs> yeah, so limited time only. Get your IBM t-shirt. And somebody let us know what y'all want. Otherwise, you're not getting anything. We need to sort that in 2022, right, Mark? Yes. So the IBM t-shirt, which is instantly a collectible because they're uniquely serial number, will quit going out December 31st. I want one. You can't have one. You can't have one. You're affiliated. Yeah. Yeah. 
I your, can't have one. So. I mean, you can't have one. That's your company's rules, not ours. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so register for the shirt. If you don't win, register each week. And then starting in 2022, we're going to have a new giveaway. We have the team here. We'll figure out what that is. We don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be something really cool. But go grab the shirt. I'm telling you, you're going to really be happy that you did. All right. So yeah. red count. United States, as of December 10th, count is at 576. We're up seven. Canada's at 177, down three. Internationally, we're at 817, up 17. Good work, except for our Canadian brothers and sisters. Let's oh, it's, just, in, it's only three. Let's hope they're just going in production. Yes. Yeah. Could, yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> All right. And speaking of production, go to LinkedIn, sign up for <laughs> our company page. It's where you get to learn about everything we're doing new in the future. And we got a bunch of new stuff coming up in 2022. And then if you want to leave us a question for First Friday Q&A, you know the drill. Either go to oilandgasthisweek.com or OGGN, ask your question. If you use your question there, we get a big shout out. And then if you'd like myself or any of our experts come to speak at your event, bring the live podcast. Let me know. I'd be happy to share the details. IBM team, this is awesome. It's great that we're closing out the year. I want to first thing say thank you for supporting the show for as long as you have. Absolutely. Without you, would not be here. Second thing, I want to thank all of our new listeners. I want to thank all of our existing listeners, your family. Once again, without you, that we could make this thing happy. And happy holidays. Yeah, happy, happy holidays. holidays. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Everybody stay happy safe. Happy Kwanzaa. Yep. And we will actually, Paige, this will be our last show other than our Christmas Yeah, we'll see you next year. year. Should so we we'll sing see a Christmas Carol? Are we singing a Christmas Carol? Should we sing a Christmas Carol? Have you ever had Jerry sing? Oh, Are you going to sing for us, Jerry? Next Thursday. Okay, next Thursday, you're on the mic. All right. I'll hit it too. Okay, there's some insight. My daughter is Come listen. Come listen. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye, guys. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.